the German Innovators in China podcast. We are bringing innovation to China and Germany. You're passionate about entrepreneurship or even have your own startup? You're especially excited about the German and Chinese market? Then we're happy that you tuned into this episode of the German Innovators podcast. Every month, we're talking to German and Chinese entrepreneurs and innovators about the latest trends in each of the markets as well as cross-border. So please stay tuned and feel free to reach out to us via our LinkedIn group if you have any suggestions or are looking for contacts in Germany or China. Now sit back and relax while you're listening to today's topic on risks and opportunities for German startups in China. Hi everybody, um, good to see you here. Um, hi from Beijing, Frankfurt and many other places uh, all over the world. It's uh, great to have this uh, really yeah, cool and unique event. Basically, uh, as you know, all we're living in uh, crazy times, but uh, also this uh, times uh, opens uh, new opportunities as today. We are together here, usually with Startup Grind. Uh, we've been doing on-site events, physical meetings, and now um, move to this uh, online, um, online uh, format, which is also part of our basically digital DNA. So we're talking about startups, we're dealing with startups, we are startups, and now uh, also our event is uh, now more globalized than ever before. Let me uh, basically uh, say again, hi and welcome uh, to you all to um, our nice um, webinar. Together with Startup Grind Beijing and Startup Grind Frankfurt, we decided to host today Kevin, uh, who will be talking about uh, opportunities and risks for German startups in, in China. Uh, and for uh, all of you who might be joining um, a Startup Grind event for the first time, let me give you some brief uh, background information on who we are and uh, what we do. Um, just give me one second and then I will move, I will show you some also slides. Um, yes, everyone, I also see that uh, we already have one question that is amazing. Also for everyone who's in Germany, you're welcome to write your questions in English, but if you prefer German, I'm German, I speak German, so does Kevin and Osman, so we're definitely happy to help. So, yeah, use whatever language you prefer, but uh, only German and English, otherwise we have a problem. <laughs> Great, yeah. Uh, again, I mean, uh, this is, uh, and I hope everybody can see now uh, the, the slide, uh, this is uh, really a truly international, uh, let's say, movement uh, uh, from the very beginning on. And maybe short history because it's really, really exciting to have like people gathered uh, here from uh, all the corners of the world. Startup Grind was uh, basically established uh, almost 10 years ago, no, exactly 10 years ago, in uh, Silicon uh, Valley uh, by Derek Anderson and uh, his uh, teammates. Uh, and now it's uh, throughout the world uh, in over 125 countries, probably even uh, now more, and 600 cities across the world as more and more chapters, you see the dots here on the slide, uh, uh, are yeah 
spreading like mushrooms. Um, and what is basically our goal? So we have these core values of Startup Rise internationally. Uh, we try to give first. Uh, and we are here really to make friends and not only uh, contact, business contact. So it is uh, all about friendship and also helping each other uh, cross border uh, and being a strong community uh, for startups, for entrepreneurs, for people who maybe uh, do not have a startup already but thinking of uh, uh, maybe establishing a startup. And for this reason, we invite to our um, fireside chats like Kevin today many, many successful entrepreneurs and share with them their insight, their visions, their challenges, their failures uh, to learn it. Here are some of the um, very, let's say, big and exciting and successful startups uh, which Startup Grind hosted before uh, globally. I was uh, in uh, Startup Grind Europe gathering uh, three, four years ago, uh, and saw Eric Schmidt, uh, for example, live. It was an inspiring uh, speech. And here, many, many companies, uh, big and smaller startups, uh, are uh, guests. Um, and um, maybe also uh, a few words to startup uh, China, Greater China. You see many, many different cities across uh, uh, the country. And now we have here uh, Beijing and basically Kevin is in, in Shanghai uh, are uh, represented here and many of you are here. Uh, they had very, very successful events. You see like, you know, big, giant, uh, uh, let's say, footprint in the startup grind community. Frankfurt, which is a cost, is a little smaller, of course, like uh, Shanghai and Beijing, smaller size, but nevertheless, uh, we also started here five years ago, had all, uh, 20 events and more than 1,200 uh, 1, uh, attendees and gathering them together, sitting together with them and having this chat. And also a networking uh, platform uh, and uh, uh, Katya, I think, will mention that also later on. We will try also to uh, live also the spirit of networking and getting together also online, although we can't meet each other. Basically, we will try to uh, also give you the opportunity to come together and discuss with us also later uh, uh, on after uh, our fire set chat. And uh, Katya, now, uh, please, you can go ahead. Thank you, Osman. Yeah. Also from my side, thank you all for coming. I know it's all a little different now. We usually host events offline. Now it's online. So also very sorry if any of you encounter any problems. We're also still trying to make everything perfect. Um, so also this time what we're trying to do, um, we're going to use Toasty at the end. And um, Sabrina, she is going to help you. She's going to explain everything to you afterwards in the chat. You can join. You don't have to, whatever you feel like. But we want to offer you the opportunity to really exchange um, personally. So if you feel like you want to try it out, go ahead. You'll find it in the chat afterwards. We're here to help you and to guide you through. Um, it's going to be like a little bit of an online networking session. So yes. So also from my side, I'm Katya. Um, I'm going to be your co-host today with Osman together. Um, I am the Startup Grind Beijing um, co-director. And I'm also the founder or co-founder, actually, of German Innovators in China, short um, Jin. 
what we are is that um, we are a nonprofit organization and what we are trying to do is that we try to really build um, bridges um, for all innovators and entrepreneurs from the German and the Chinese ecosystem. Um, we are based in Beijing and now we're also based in Shanghai actually because Kevin, who's our speaker today, he's going to open uh, the new chapter in Shanghai. So if you guys think that's cool what we're doing and you would like to learn more or you're based in Shanghai and you would actually love to help, reach out to Kevin if you're in Beijing, like we are the people to speak to. Um, so yeah, we're happy to do that today. And I think I'll give the word now to Kevin so you can also introduce yourself. Yes, uh, thanks for the introduction, uh, Katja and uh, Osman. So it's nice to be here. Uh, I see we have a lot of uh, participants and uh, a lot of activity already in the chat. That's uh, much appreciated. And of course, I'm happy to answer every question. So feel free to uh, uh, ask more questions in the Q&A. I think we'll get to most of them. Um, so for myself, um, I started my career journey in uh, Germany. I'm uh, originally German, half German, half Polish. Started studying business at the University of Mannheim and then went on to work at a couple of organizations, but really started um, my career at Rocket Internet. Um, worked in Sydney for them for some time and helped with a PMI project that uh, was with a startup then called Supper Time, nowadays Fudora. So most uh, Germans should be uh, familiar with that. Um, after that, I transitioned into strategy consulting, worked there for three years, mostly on M&A and digitization projects uh, within a lot of different industries. Oh, and I see Nadine is also, also studied at uh, a business in Mannheim. So we have at least one more uh, Mannheim colleague here. It's nice. Um, and, uh, and then uh, went on to co-found a funding accelerator in Berlin called Properas. Um, and what we did and still do, although I'm a bit out of it, um, is connect uh, very early stage, uh, seed stage startups with the appropriate uh, angels and uh, VC funds. Um, mostly sourcing uh, deals from universities couple of universities that we have cooperations with and then already began my adventure in China so I went over to China to Shanghai to here uh, work at and with Xnode and what I'm doing here is I'm heading the startup accelerator um, Xnode itself does three things uh, first thing is super boring it's a co-working space multiple spaces in Shanghai the second thing is a little bit more exciting it's a corporate innovation, so working with big multinational corporates to help them become a little bit more innovative. But then, of course, the most exciting thing uh, is the third, um, the third area of business, and that's uh, startup acceleration. Um, that means we help um, companies from outside of China get into China and selectively invest in those companies, and that's what I'm in charge of. Um, and that's it. So happy to, um, you know, jump into the discussion now. Awesome. Thank you so much. I think I'm going to start already with the first question. And I think obviously I would love to ask you why. Why should someone consider going to China? Yeah, that's a very good question to ask. And um, should be the first question that everyone asks themselves. Um, I see there's uh, a couple of types of founders considering the Chinese market. 
the ones who are overly optimistic and they just see this huge market of 1.4 1.5 billion people and they are like uh, great you know we're just going to go over there we're going to start the business there and it's all going to be great so many customers we're going to make millions um and then you have the second type of uh, founders who are overly pessimistic about the market. Okay, we have uh, you know all these types of IP issues. We have no idea how the registration works. Chinese consumer, I don't get it. Um, so I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Uh, to me, why should you go to uh, China? Um, you shouldn't. In some cases, it doesn't make sense for you. And to be very frank, a lot of startups that uh, approach me uh, I have to turn them down because I say you don't really have a China business angle. Now, for selected startups, it does make sense. They have a technology that is highly sought after in the Chinese market. And then, of course, you have a huge consumer market. You have enough people to sell to. So then it makes sense. Um, the second reason it might make sense is that you can learn a lot from China. So China is not anymore a simple copy and paste economy as it was branded like 15 20 years ago um, it's much more than that it's an innovation leader in so many um, verticals so um, china is also for you and your startup if you have one a great opportunity to learn to set set up shop there um, and take a good look at what the innovation ecosystem does over there and adapt some of it thank you great so as you said like it's for some, it's a fit. For some, it might not be a fit. And for me, being based in Beijing, I would definitely also say the Chinese market is a very different market compared to Germany. Like, neither good nor bad way. It's just very different. And I think a lot of people sometimes are a little maybe blind to, like, really approach it, um, like, in a proper way. They just think, oh, my business model works here fine, so let's just take it over there. Um, so what do you think, like, what would you actually say um, people should consider before going to China? What should they consider about themselves and their own business? What should they bring with them? Yeah, so um, I think there's two angles you can look at it. The first one is the startup, so the business angle. And the second one is your personal angle. Uh, in terms of the startup business angle, there's a couple of... Um, verticals that work well and there's a couple of work verticals that don't work well so for example right now we're working with a startup in the deep tech sector they are doing semiconductor uh, technologies now that's like probably one of the best verticals you can be in uh, for the chinese market um, it's the one of the goals of the chinese government to become more independent in terms of uh, semiconductors semiconductor technology so if now you have a great product, you have a great technology uh, that fits the scheme, China is the place for you to be. It's just, you know, it would be, it would be a loss to not at least try. Uh, does that mean you only can come to China if, you have, if you're selling semiconductor technologies? Of course, no. There's many other things like advanced manufacturing, you know, within the industrial IoT sector. Um, there's uh, things like education tech, medical tech. Uh, all things that go extremely well in China. Um, and then there's things that are, you know, where the market is a bit more saturated. So, for example, if we look at a lot of the B2C um, industries, for example, in retail, 
I would say the market is very saturated. Plus, for you as someone who is most probably not Chinese coming from outside, it's super difficult to understand. And once you understand the market, it changes very quickly. So that's tricky too. Um, so I would say um, from from the you know business or startup angle, see whether the startup really fits and try to take a couple of steps before you actually set up shop physically in China to do some validation to find out is that really a place for me um, that I should consider that I should try expanding to and then of course once you expand there's still no success guarantee right um, but you save yourself a lot of trouble if you if you do some research ahead of going to China and then the second angle I mentioned is the personal angle right so not uh, not all founders are a good fit for the Chinese market and I see founders that are most successful here are the ones that come to China and they are extremely humble so they know that they know nothing and that's exactly the right attitude that you need to come in this market with uh, because uh, as Katya already mentioned earlier it's it is an extremely difficult and an extremely different market so to, to really deeply understand the Chinese consumer. And there's not this one typical Chinese consumer. You have tier one, two, three, four, five cities, uh, depending on how, which classification uh, you take. Um, they, they are all vastly different. And there are some brands who had, uh, you know, who had big losses in tier one cities, and then they managed to break into tier two and tier three cities. So we can talk about that later maybe. But um, for founders themselves, it's good if these are people who are willing to learn, who are extremely coachable, who say, okay, uh, I'm going to get into this market with the attitude that I don't know anything, but I'm trying to learn everything. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> Let's jump right into the tier cities. You mentioned it already. I think it's a good time to like talk about this. So I think people who've done a bit of research on it might have heard about it. If you have no idea about China, you might not even know now what this is, but it's actually an important thing to know about. Everyone like second tier, first tier, third tier, they all have advantages and disadvantages. And like, it's very, it depends on yourself, on your startup, which one you should take. Maybe Kevin, you can explain a little bit um, when, which one is appropriate. Yeah. Um... So, um, you know, so there's this concept of tier cities and it's a very um, oversimplified concept of grouping different kinds of cities that you have in China into so-called tiers uh, based on things like the sophistication of their consumers, the infrastructure and so on. Um, and <clears throat> you have, you now you have different organizations giving out rankings of what are um, you know, what are the different tiers of different cities? And there's one, uh, like a financial magazine, Itzai Global. Um, they give out a pretty, uh, pretty well-known ranking and it has tier one cities. It has emerging tier one cities and then tier two, three, four, five. Um, now for, um, uh, for tier one cities, you have, also here you have, different definitions but most people agree upon that you have Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen and Guangzhou. So these four are usually considered um, uh, tier one cities. They are also referred to as Beishang, Guangshen 
and um, these four cities, um, some of them, you know, in terms of GDP, they pull as much as uh, some states. And that's why it's also very helpful to think about them as uh, more like countries than really cities, because they're not really comparable to, to countries. You know, they, they are bigger than Austria, for example. And um, so... Um, so those are the uh, those are those. Then you have tier two and tier three cities. I would say the the new tier one cities, so the emerging tier one cities, are some that um, um, are are still very easy to live in, very easy to relate to. They are very um, very similar to tier one cities in many sorts. Um, for example, Chengdu would be a emerging uh, tier one city. And then you, once you get further down, uh, tier three, four, five cities, um, the consumer habits are vastly different. Um, and so, uh, which, which cities should you consider? Um, of course, that's going to depend on the startup, right? Uh, I think um, every startup is different. Um, but in order to now oversimplify things, I would say for most startups, um, they would consider a tier one city um, simply because of the fact that they they will be able to uh, understand the consumer habits in a tier one city much faster than they're going to be able in a tier three, four, five city. Um, is that does that always hold true um, for startups? Um, very often, uh, for some corporates, it doesn't. So you have examples. For example. Um, Tuborg was a good case, the beer company. Um, they tried expanding to tier one cities first and they had a competitor, a competitor already there that was Carlsberg. And so they were not really able to break into the tier one cities. So what they did pretty quick, cleverly is they uh, decided to relaunch in tier two and tier three cities. And they did lots of marketing through events and music festivals and stuff like that. And then in the end, they were able to successfully penetrate those tier two and tier, tier three cities. So in some cases, most of the times because of competition, um, it might make sense to target uh, lower tier cities. Um, other than that, sometimes if you, you know, if you're, for example, let's say you're in a manufacturing business, uh, of course, what you will find in, tier, in lower tier cities is that these cities still have much lower labor, and land cost, um, so you save cost. On the other hand, if you're in a some high-tech field, let's say medical tech, uh, you will find that in those higher-tier cities, you have people who are, uh, you know, who have a higher education standard. You have better access to high-quality labor as opposed to uh, cheap labor. So all, all of those are considerations, right? But for example, for me, the majority of startups that we work with are from you know, medical tech, education tech, all these rather high-tech areas. And for them, it makes most sense to set up shop in tier one cities. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Yeah, great. Um, Kevin, these were already very, um, very good and deep insights uh, to both, uh, let's say, the ecosystem, um, the 
also like the corporate structures, cooperation, uh, the different cities with their pros and cons for startups. And since we are, I mean, we, we came together to discuss especially how German startups uh, can succeed in, in China. I think uh, and we have a, a lot of also international audience. It would be good before I uh, uh, ask you another question also to give maybe a small uh, overview of startups here, uh, uh, especially in Frankfurt, but also in other regions uh, of Germany uh, to see and to then compare, you know, what uh, would be a good fit? Uh, where are the challenges? Um, in Frankfurt, um, Frankfurt is uh, the biggest financial center of uh, Germany and Europe, as you all know. So the uh, startup ecosystem is slightly different than Berlin. Uh, everybody thinks of Berlin when it comes to startups because there are more techies, it's hip, it's, uh, you know, uh, there is this vibrant lifestyle. Uh, but what we, we also have in Germany, uh, differences between the regions, uh, whereas Berlin is, of course, bigger and all international startups would first move to Berlin as their European or German uh, hub. Here in Frankfurt, um, we have um, startup, startups which are more active in the B2B sector rather than B2C. And if I go back and look at our uh, guests we had at Startup Grind Frankfurt, I can name some of them and to see what is their business model to make it probably more specific when we discuss and uh, discuss your questions, what could be the challenges. Of course, fintech is very present here because uh, financial center, a lot of fintech startups emerge in the last three, four years very successfully. And our first guest, guest was, for example, Clark uh, Inchatech. Uh, and uh, they were a small startup when they started with like uh, 30, 40 people and now have like hundreds of uh, employees, uh, four or five rounds of investment. And more importantly, uh, they have successful corporations with major banks and insurance companies throughout uh, uh, Germany. Then we had, for example, um, Kiwi, which is a prop tech uh, company, which uh, has uh, smart locks and smart keys for big buildings. So you could access any room with your uh, mobile device, uh, personalize, you can, and every, everything can, can be tracked. So you don't need any keys anymore. So you can access uh, various areas. Uh, but we had also, for example, just to give you a sense of uh, uh, also our guests stopped up right. We had a, a food startup, uh, which is um, Litza. Litza is um, also very successful. They were in uh, Löwe de um, Löwen, a TV series, uh, and then uh, basically created a pizza, which is based on uh, low-carb ingredients, vegan, vegetarian ingredients. It's a lifestyle product, a health product. They also con uh, cooperated with distributors like uh, Rewe, Edeka, big like uh, uh, supermarket chains to sell their sell their products. I could go on and on, but what what I want to say is uh, here in Frankfurt, where we have the situation that we have strongly to be startups who do not directly reach out to the end consumer but rather go to some cooperation partners, big corporations and uh, partner with them to then distribute their, their product. Now coming to my question, uh, would this, this would be maybe an easier way rather than like targeting the consumer directly 
having some strong partners, be it startups or be it big corporations, and then try to uh, partner up with them and use their know-how and skill to be more successful. What is your view on that? Also, maybe given, uh, also you can also, um, uh, you know, take some of these examples I mentioned from from Frankfurt here. Yeah. So I mean, um, first of all, I think I think so. So I think it's a good route to go through either corporate partners or partners of some other sorts. Um, and as an anecdote, that's also the reason why uh, we tend to focus a lot on, on uh, B2B startups. Uh, the reason being that if you are a startup that's, uh, that's able to sell to corporates uh, or to multinationals of some sort, then um, what we can do for a startup is we can set up one or two corporations with these uh, huge firms and then you already have a foot in the door in the Chinese market. Um, so it's much easier than you coming here uh, trying to sell, let's say, you know, uh, low-carb pizzas to every single uh, Chinese consumer um, through different distribution channels and you get confused uh, during the process. Uh, it's much easier to go through a corporate partner. Now, the next best, best thing you can do, of course, because not everybody has the luxury to um, be able to get in touch with, uh, with the right corporates, especially if we're talking about uh, Chinese corporates or the Chinese headquarters um, of multinationals, then is to go through some kind of startup support partner. So that could be accelerators, but could also be um, incubators, could be uh, venture capital firms that have um, funds not only in China, but maybe also uh, abroad or in Germany. Um, and that way you, you approach your customers in China already with um, kind of a, you know, like a trust bonus because you're coming through a party that's known to them. Great. Um, thank you. That, that was also, yeah, um, basically then very similar to uh, also other, let's say, markets. The first step is probably easier if you partner up uh, uh, with people who have already successful companies. Uh, of course, then it would be interesting to see, you know, what are the do's and don'ts of such corporations. What we see, for example, here in Germany is a small startup cooperating with a big corporate can be rather challenging. First, the cultures are different. Uh, corporates need more time. Uh, sometimes startups do not see them uh, on the you know same. Uh, they don't. Sometimes they they struggle because uh, they think they are not taken too seriously when they you know come up with bright ideas in the corporates. So would you uh, say? This is also there is also this cultural uh, gap, or are Chinese corporates more open than German corporates uh, towards innovation and also uh, you know partnering up with international startups? Yeah, so there. I mean, there's two things to this. Uh, to my answer, the first one is in general, I would say it's as you already said. You know, it's not really different, in, not majorly different from other countries. It's always not easy to get a startup and a corporate. Uh, to work together 
um, and all this holds true for for China too. Um, the second part of the answer, there's um, a couple of differences about uh, Chinese corporates and Chinese people working maybe in innovation de departments of big corporates uh, in terms of how they think and Chinese. Not only people working in those corporates in, in the innovation departments, for example, but also Chinese entrepreneurs in particular, they are extremely outcome driven. So where in Germany, we lay a lot of importance on the process. You know, we want to know how many workshops do we get from you and how many meetings will there be and what's the, you know, how, how do we facilitate the cooperation between the startup and the uh, and, and the corporate, how will the demo they look like, and so on. Uh, in China, the only question, um, or in China, it's more towards the direction, okay, so how much does that increase my bottom line, right? Um, and, and that's something we witness a lot when we work, uh, when we work with these uh, uh, China-based corporates that we work with is, um, you need to, when you want to sell them something, whether you are an accelerator or you are a startup or someone else, uh, it's all about the bottom line and um, showing them clearly, okay, by doing this in next year, ideally you will have this kind of business result and in five years it's going to look like this. If everything goes well, then in 10 years it will look like this. They're extremely outcome driven. Great, thank you. Maybe let me ask uh, uh, um, one more question because, uh, before I uh, hand over to, to Katia. Um, we were talking about like, you know, cooperation, presence, tier one, tier two cities and uh, availabilities, uh, workforce in, in China. One hypothetical question would be if I'm successful here and I have a, a purely digital business, which is scalable, would you see the opportunity also to you know remain at home sit here in front of your computer maybe have one or two let's say marketing partners whatever in china but without any physical presence uh, doing expanding your digital services to to china is that something you see uh, often or would you say it is hardly possible to be successful without you know being somehow uh, present also physically in, in, in China and what are the challenges and maybe opportunities for German startups to say I want to go to China but not physically but rather uh, from here. So short answer I think it's extremely difficult. Um, long answer. Um, I, uh, I frequently talk to, um, talk to founders um, and we analyze their business model, the way it exists currently in Germany, for example. Um, and then we think about, okay, like, or often then comes the suggestion, okay, like, let's just, you know, copy it over. We can translate the website or translate the app um, and, you know, do some tweaks here and there. And then we put it up the app store and then let's, let's you know, let's work with a marketing agency and they help us distribute this thing and that's it. Um, in reality, um, over the past year where I've worked with uh, 40 plus startups, I haven't met a single one where we didn't need to make 
you know, extreme deep changes to the product. So in terms of product localization, there was always heavy effort involved. Um, and that's uh, sometimes things that are pretty obvious. So if you work with an ad tech, so advertisement tech startup, for example, we needed to, you know, the, the, the software was ready to go in their home market, but they needed to revamp their entire backend because it was based on Facebook and Google code. So of course that didn't work here in China. Um, sometimes it's uh, it's a little bit more subtle, like a, um, a Russian ad tech company uh, startup that we worked with. Um, they had a pretty awesome solution, um, but their UX was um, geared towards Western uh, audience. And uh, that's also something some people uh, don't don't realize in the first moment is the UX of um, Chinese uh, apps, Chinese mini programs for WeChat, and so on, uh, is is fundamentally different from uh, the Western UX, and um, the way and and that's for a good reason. So some of the design standards that we have in, in the Western world uh, don't hold here in China. Um, and sometimes it's extremely subtle things. And so, you know, long story short, I, uh, with all these startups that I've worked with, I haven't met a single one where it was just like, okay, let's just copy this thing over. Maybe we need to put in some marketing effort and tap into the right distribution channels. And then that's it. That's even for, you know, if, you, if we're talking about, uh, just had a conversation with a guy who works at KLG, which is a you know big company. They, help with import and export and even he says that um, you know for uh, startups that are doing like manufacturing or physical goods um, also here um, unless you're a person who you know you order a couple of things on Alibaba and then you resell them on Amazon like that's something you can do uh, from your office and from your home uh, but also here once it gets bigger you have uh, problems with um, you know, uh, registration, licenses, uh, changes, um, the market understanding. Um, so in, I would say in, you know, 90% of the cases, it's necessary to, to come here physically. One thing though, uh, what I have witnessed now a couple of times is after people spent a couple of months here and you had founder presence here in China, so people were here for let's say three to six months um, then at some point of course you can put in place a Chinese representative um, a couple of Chinese employees um, and then you can head back but that's once you have understood the market once you localize the product once you gain first traction in China awesome thank you both of you so time is as always a little short. There's always way more to speak about, and, but I think we should move on. So, I mean, I also have a lot of questions left. Maybe there's actually one thing that I would just quickly like to ask you that's I think especially important in Germany. I think we really care much about our data protection here. And a lot of people always worry, like, how does that work in China? Like, is our IP protected? How is it? So can you maybe just quickly really elaborate on this? Yeah. Um, so I was in the um, 
in the German Ministry of Economics uh, before Christmas, and that was the number one topic they cared about: how how can we protect, safeguard our Chinese, uh, our German startups when they go over to China? How do we make sure we're not just ripped off and all the technology is stolen? And um, it is it, it's like this. Um, I think. Uh, Germans are, uh, for Germans, that's really one of the pain points. And I, I totally feel that. A lot of Germans I talk to, that's the number one consideration they have. Um, on the other hand, China is not the wild, wild west anymore. So if you file trademarks, if you file copyrights and so on, you are able in many cases to enforce them. And I think it was in, two, not sure to be honest, but 2015, 16, 17, where they opened a first court that is specialized on these cases. Um, so safeguarding foreign startups and foreign SMEs interests. Um, and I think there was, uh, you know, in the first couple of months, there was like 30 cases or so brought before them. And in all 30 cases, the court ruled in favor of the foreign uh, entity. So that's a pretty good sign already. Now, obviously, there's a couple of things you should avoid. And if you come into the Chinese market and you come completely unprepared and you don't do your research beforehand, then yes, chances are uh, things are being going to get copied uh, and maybe um, and and you know maybe you're going to have a bad surprise. But To be honest, that's the case uh, in every other market too. Um, so a couple, you know, for example, what I would suggest is if you or what we did with this one company, uh, semiconductor startup that I was talking about, for them we're saying very clearly, you know, keep all your R&D activities in Germany. Frankly, there is no reason to bring it over here. You're just uh, facing unnecessary risks. I mean, we filed for all the protection uh, that we could file for. Um, But there's, you know, there's really no reason for you to bring the R&D here at this point. So that's, uh, you know, one one practical thing I would uh, suggest, for example. In general, though, um, if you uh, if you work with the right people, if you do some research beforehand, um, then it's not a problem. Also, one thing, uh, maybe uh, you know, as a last piece of advice, uh, try to find uh, people that you trust in China um that have experience and that can you know give you very personal recommendations and if you work with law firms for example then try to look for law firms that are really specialized in these cross-border issues uh, ideally they have not only an office in china but also have an international presence um, and are specialized also on your company size right so startup or sme or whatever um, and then you know if you do these if you obey these ground rules then i would say there's uh, no reason to be afraid um, of the chinese market thank you kevin thank you so everyone i think it's a lot of information like i think we all know these topics you can speak for hours we're not going to be able to cover everything now so we're going to record this and put that online again. So if you feel like it's been too much and you would like to listen into it again, then feel free. We're going to share it. You have the opportunity again. Also, if you have more questions that come up afterwards, you're always welcome uh, to approach us. And we really try to help uh, answer all of them. 
but I think we can start now with um, the question. So I know a few people have actually written in the chat, so we're really trying to make sure that we answer as much as we can. But let me just start with our first question that we got from Eric. Um, Eric asks you, Kevin, what do you think is the best way to approach Chinese mid-market companies as customers? He said that he used um, introduction brokers in the past, also successfully, but he's not really sure if this is the appropriate way. So how um, to... Yeah, so um, depend, depends on your particular startup or company. Um, what I would say is the problem sometimes uh, we see with some people using those introduction brokers, so not saying they're good or bad, um, but you really got to make sure they have uh, like they have a good relationship with the you know the people that they are introducing you to. Um, so if you as a foreigner cold approach uh, Chinese companies, the success rate is usually devastatingly low uh, because you don't tap into the right into the right channels because yeah. there's just cultural confusion uh, because you're in touch with the wrong departments in the first place i mean i have people so many people told me in the past wow you know i got to know these people from alibaba or from baidu or tencent or iflytech or whatever and um you know they they are very convinced that now is the time for their startup and they're going to start selling there or going to get investment from alibaba or whatever when in fact alibaba is like it's mine it's one of the biggest companies in the world so if you know one person chances are he or she is not working in the right department and chances are also he or she is not able to get you in touch with the right people in the right department um, so you know, often people talking to the right uh, to the wrong people so um, you know first of all uh, get in touch with your very personal network see if you can do something there if you can try to get introductions from people if that doesn't work, then yes, I mean, you can go through introduction brokers, you can go through, you know, um, ecosystem players um, like accelerators, incubators, and so on. But always make sure to get at least a couple of personal recommendations for these players and make sure they are not, um, you know, they are, they are companies or support partners that you really want to work with. They are not just doing shady work that will not get you anywhere mm, thank you kevin i also want to add shortly on this this was also one of the main reasons why we actually um founded german innovators in china because we also figured out that there's a lot of people who are interested and they don't know who to speak to and they're not sure if the ones they speak to are really the ones that can actually help them so we're also happy uh, if there's anyone you would like to be introduced to, reach out to us. We can speak a little bit more in detail um, and we can see what we can uh, or how we can also help you guys with that. Yeah. So maybe yes. one, one more question now from my side that I would love to uh, get in here because we actually also wanted to speak about it. I don't want to dig too deep into it, but please shortly, can you just explain now with that whole entire situation that we're going through, um, coronavirus, how do you or like how um, post coronavirus uh, impact will change the startup ecosystem? So how will it be afterwards or potentially? 
Yeah, so I think actually there's uh, more opportunities now. I mean, in tr from a venture capital perspective, the market looks much, um, you know, looks much less hot right now and much more reasonable in terms of valuations. So that's good. Um, for startups themselves seeking for support, there's also lots of support options now. So the support options have increased, mostly to be honest, for, you know, Chinese startups or startups that have a Chinese entity. Um, so for them, you have things like, you know, a wave on rent or social welfare fee or, or things like that. Um, but uh, I, I would say in general, uh, I'm quite optimistic uh, in my outlook. I think there's uh, many opportunities and uh, startup support programs from private institutions also uh, do still exist. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Yeah, and maybe uh, looking at uh, the questions from the audience, uh, Anna raised basically this question uh, about government support, but you um, answered that. Mm -hmm. so that, that is a nice uh, coincidence. Um, um, Mattia uh, also asked uh, a, a question. Um, let me read it out or just uh, summarize uh, is um, asking um, um, Kevin if um, there are R&D and educational centers um, jointly with Chinese or uh, German uh, institutions uh, whose purpose is to work on AI, fintech, semiconductors or biotech. So the question is, are there already, let's say, collaborative uh, Chinese-German R&D educational centers or is there a plan to set it up um, or, yeah, what do you think on that? Like joint educational centers, yeah. Yeah, um, to be very honest, I, uh, I'm not aware of any. So, um, but, you know, so, uh, I mean, we're doing a lot in this sector. Um, we haven't done that much with Germany in the past, to be quite frank. Um, but I'm not aware of any R&D centers like that, mm. focused on solely AI, for example. Maybe also one question um, uh, from my side, uh, you know, also research, development, sharing and uh, common projects. Um, as, as we all know, there is also on both sides sometimes difficulties and challenges, also psychologically, when it comes to exchange of know-how research, we see it both in the US or Germany, that sometimes people have the impression when we team up with Chinese companies, we might lose uh, know-how, etc. Uh, and there is also this this fear and this lack of uh, trust, uh, sometimes also on both sides. So uh, this is rather a general and psychological question or social question. What steps can be done to establish trust on both sides that they really can partner up without, you know, thinking uh, that the other party will somehow fool you? Uh, and what, what can you do? What can Jin do? What can others do to foster also, you know, this, this feeling of, of being and acting together? Yeah. Uh, yeah, very good question. I mean, of course, there's no hack, right? There's no like one hour solution to this, um, no shortcut. Uh, but I would 
give two uh, two possible routes. Uh, the first one we already touched upon it a couple of times is you know really leverage uh, support partners from your own country. So if you are German, then you know it's a good idea to get in touch with people like Katya, uh, like me, um, and so on. Uh, use networks like Jin, for example. And you don't, I mean, there's no, no obligation to work with these kind of networks, but I'm pretty sure you will learn a lot uh, in the process of uh, getting in touch with them. Um, so, uh, you know, that's the first thing. Try to leverage um, organizations that you know, organizations from your own country where there's more kind of cultural understanding. Um, second thing is, uh, it's just a, a fact of life that the transaction cost in China is extremely high. Uh, what does that mean? If I want to get a deal done here in China with, you know, uh, you know let's say a state-owned enterprise, um, I need to have um, five dinners with them. I have to get three drinks with them. And then after having, you know, eight points of contacts, they are probably still going to tell me, oh, by the way, Kevin, we're not interested in doing business. And at this point, I have wasted eight meetings with them. Um, and at each meeting, I was under the impression that we are on to something. Um, but that's just, it's, you know, it's, it's something that I have learned to accept in China. That's something that's part of the rules. That's how the culture works. Uh, people want to establish trust first. And they are not the type of people like Germans, super direct, you know, or like Dutch people going to tell you at the first meeting, hey, I think your business plan sucks and I'm not willing to do business with you. Uh, for, so that's just, that's just the fact of life. Uh, so first advice, you know, go through personal contact. Second one is just, you know, accept it and try to build a genuine relationship uh, with these people, but always schedule enough time for doing that. Yeah. I would also really like to stress that point that Kevin said. I think it's really, really important. And yes, the culture might seem a little foreign to you in the beginning, but it's the same for Chinese people. Our German culture is also very foreign. And I think if you you make a step towards them, they make a step towards you. And I, I personally always felt like Chinese people are super open. Like if you're willing to also do certain things that's normal in a Chinese culture, they're also happy to really get to know your culture. So try to really like get to know them, build a friendship first. Um, that's really a good thing. And also if you're a startup, for example, if you want to go to China, the best thing you can definitely do is get a local in your startup, like get a Chinese person in. First problem you will have is the language. You won't speak Chinese and it makes your life so much easier if you have someone who can help you. So really try to not just go to the country and set up your, your company there, but really try to interact uh, with the locals and try to get them, uh, make them be part of you. And it will definitely, it will, you will profit from it, I'd say. Okay. So we have a few more questions, but we're a little bit behind time. Um, maybe let me ask one more question and then I think um, Ding, for example, if you know me, please reach out to me and uh, Kevin will still uh, help you answer the question. Um, everyone else as well, feel free to reach out to us. We're still happy to answer your questions. Um, yeah, but I think we're running a little uh, out of time. So 
One more question. Um, in your experience, working with uh, born global startups coming to China, what is the success rate? So, um, I mean, I, I can do some pretty good marketing for ourselves here. So for us, uh, the success rate is uh, rather high. I would say half of the startups that we work with, they go on to stay in China and either they get investment or they get some kind of commercial partnership going. But that's because we have a very heavy due diligence process ahead of working with startups. Uh, in general, I would say the success rate is not other than when starting a new company, it's around one in 10. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's even though, um, you know, all of these startups start in their home country and they have a validated product, that is somehow already working in their home country. But then it comes back to the thing that I said before, uh, that's no indication whatsoever that your product is also going to work in China because either you have already competitors in the market or the product is not able to be localized or the consumer don't gets it, don't buys it, don't understands it, and so on. Awesome. Thank you, Kevin. All right, so we're a little bit behind time, but I think, um, I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope it helped you guys. Again, it's an overview. We really can't answer everything in detail, um, but still reach out to us. We're happy to help you guys. And now for the ones who would also like to be a little social, if you would like to get other attendees in here, if you would like to exchange, speak about private life, about business topics, whatever you feel like, we're here for you. Um, so we will help now. Sabrina is texting in our chat group. So she will help you to sign up or to get into that Toasty. So from there on, we will continue with our social part. So, so thank you, everyone. Um, thank you, Kevin, Osman, and everyone else for your time and your insights. And um, I wish everyone a nice weekend then. <laughs> thank you so much, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.